Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. This is Trevor McGee from Lawrence.com. I'm here with Eric Moline from scenestealers.com. <laughs> you're so mellow. You uh, were like all pumped up, and now you're like, that's the your energy level has that's dropped. That's the sum total as of all. As soon as record started. All the enthusiasm I can muster, I already, I already expended. It's gone. Wow. Yeah. Fair enough. It's well, Friday. everybody, you're in for a treat today. Yeah. I'm bouncing off the walls here. <laughs> maybe it's because I didn't get to see any movies this week, so maybe that's why. Are you too busy to see movies? Yeah, I'm, I'm. Apparently, I'm too stupid to see movies because I got approached by um, <laughs> someone with Nielsen when I was at the Plaza last uh, uh, Sunday to see a movie. I was there with a friend of mine, and this guy came up because he heard us talking about movies and asked if we had a minute, and then gave me a list and asked me how many of the movies I'd seen on the list. And I'd seen all of them, and then he said, uh, "Current action films, yeah, mostly, mostly, yeah. Act, yeah, big summer blockbusters, mostly." And he said, "You know." Uh, um, do you want to be a part of a focus group? I was like, absolutely. And then he said, what do you do for a living? And like an idiot, I told him what I actually did for a living, which is uh, run Lawrence.com. And oh, you're in the media. And he's immediately, immediately took that offer off the table. So I could have made $100 to watch a mystery movie, but instead now my friend Carly gets to. So she's going to spoil it and tell me what she gets to see. But if she ends up getting to see Mission Impossible early, I'm going to be so mad. Yeah. I'm going to be so mad. Well, you know, but it could have been a rough cut. It might suck. Yeah. Well, so that's that's how I, I go out of my way apparently now to not see movies, which uh, means I'm going to have to just ask you a bunch of questions this week and make fun of things you say I as saw, you tell I us about films. Planet of the Apes, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and 30, uh, minutes. 30 minutes or less. Or less. Yeah. So let's start, let's start at the beginning. Let's go back to uh, the Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Okay, we'll start with Rise. It was uh, last week's number one box office champ. Yeah. Um, the which, director said he wants the follow-up to be like Full Metal Jacket of the Apes. Really? That's that's how he described what he wants the sequel to be. Oh, uh, interesting. Now knowing knowing where they left the story, that could be interesting because the uh, this is a, a different origin story from the... Um, original five-part yeah. Planet of the Apes series from uh, 68 through 74, I think it was. Um, there was an origin story in Beyond the Planet of the Apes, but it was slightly different from this. Um, this one is basically uh, follows the uh, kind of the standard routine of, you know, the the scientist who's trying to cure something and accidentally starts something wholly different that uh, ends up taking over the globe. Right. And it doesn't quite take over the globe yet. I mean, the end of this film, the, the apes rise up, of course, um, but it's it's left very open ended, and then the um, some graphics come on at the end of the movie that suggest, in a very clever and funny way, actually, uh, through a, a running joke character in the movie, mm-hmm. that uh, the rest of the planet has now been uh, taken over, uh, and that the apes are. So they they basically so- skip skip that entire portion of the story to set up the next film, and instead, this really is is I hate to say it, kids. Uh, kind of a uh, character drama. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. The first hour it really takes its time. The first hour of Rise of the Planet of the Apes is basically about um, a sentient ape uh, who who uh, is raised as a human, and and of course there's a lot of connections there with the the current documentary out, uh, Project Nim, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, about the same thing: uh, a chimpanzee raised as um, uh, a human being mm-hmm. and and Andy Circus under all of that performance capture 
uh, technology that he was uh, as Gollum in Lord of the Rings and King Kong and Peter Jackson's remake yeah. uh, is back again doing terrific work. Uh, and of course, you know, the irony of this and, and the best part about this movie and why it works is because it sticks with the major theme of what made the original sci-fi series so interesting in the first Charlton place. Charlton Heston. Not Charlton Heston. Mm. But the theme that um, we are the, – the humans are the inhumane ones and the apes are more human than we are. Ah. And that's very true in this movie as well. Is uh, it Brian Cox in this thing? Yeah, Brian Cox is in it for all of 15 minutes and he plays his usual menacing self. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's one of two or three completely one-dimensional uh, villains that are just mean to the apes because they have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Does he but, get his head caved in by a gorilla or something? You know, I'm not going to say. He gets his comeuppance. I'm not going to say. But, but there are – the villains get their comeuppance and in a very satisfying way. And I can't he's, stress this enough. Mm-hmm. Because of the time that they spent building this – premise up which is fairly ridiculous yeah the idea that he's trying to franco's trying to cure alzheimer's and ends up uh you know connecting tissue in the brains of of chimps that make them uh in, as intelligent as humans yeah um but the fact that they took all their time setting it up means that when things finally do start to happen when the plot really kicks in to bringing us to the end point that you're that you're expecting you're really invested, man. And and I'm telling you, the CGI is amazing. And, and you look at the apes right away in the preview and you go, uh, they don't look so good. Here's the deal. They started with one character mm-hmm. uh, and, and you, grow, you grow up with him over a long period of time, eight years. Yeah. And so uh, I'd say 20 minutes into the film, you are convinced these are what apes look like. Okay. You're never presented with an actual ape in the movie. They're all CGI from the ground up. So we accept that this is what apes are in this world, and because you know, that's of that, exactly how I feel when I watch Star Wars. Yeah, I've never seen a Gungan, so I just have to assume that that's yeah. what they look like. But that's what they look like. Yeah, yeah, sure. Even though they look like a video game. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. I mean, you know, they uh, they give us uh, one particular ape, Caesar. Yeah. The Andy Serkis character, and he is. Uh, very humanized and and we we sympathize with him and he's he's the guy that we're with on this journey it's yeah. not james franco it's not uh so is Frida he like Pinto, a freedom fighter is he like che guevara of, yeah. of the che guevara, of che the guevara absolutely i want that shirt yeah i want the shirt with i think you need to make the shirt and make a mint off of it this is a big surprise hit and honestly it is one of the most satisfying summer blockbusters uh all all season long. There have been so many that have just been kind of eh and a couple that were just not very good or really disappointing. Right. This one delivers and despite the fact that um, – That it's a Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah. It really I really – I don't understand how that franchise is hung on or why it's around at all. Well, honestly. the original one uh, had one of the best twist endings of all time. Yeah. And it actually sure. in completely – uh, informed all the action up to it and made you think about something. Uh, and so that was that was a, a great way to start it. And since then, they've still grappled those those movies with Roddy McDowell and everybody. They, they yeah. grappled with some interesting social uh, issues that were really relevant in the 70s, even though there were talking people in these ape outfits and the budget wasn't very high and all that kind of right. stuff. So, but they, they're infinitely better than Tim Burton's uh, abysmal Planet of the Apes remake from... Yeah. Uh, what was it, 2001? That was just uh, unforgivable. Actually, I can't talk about Tim Burton. I've been told by my doctor I can't talk <laughs> okay. about it. Okay, away. My blood pressure goes too high. Yeah. Um, I still can't get past the fact that they're apes and 
there's no way that this movie shouldn't just end with a pile of dead a pile of dead monkeys and a bunch of SWAT guys with shotguns. I'll tell you what, man. You know, it, they, doesn't, it doesn't make any up, sense. The big showdown on the Golden Gate Bridge. They are uh, they've got some good ape strategy. It's a little Braveheart going on. Oh there. wow! Because yeah. they're smart, man. They're yeah. thinking. They're they're thinking. They're, they're thinking they're, apes. They're thinking, man. And again, you've got to look past some of this because uh, it still doesn't quite a hundred percent make sense. But yeah. you buy the ticket, or you know, you take the ride. And if if the movie uh, is as well done as this is, you just go with it. And so. Uh, I was surprised how much I liked it. How was how was Lithgow? Lithgow is his usual, uh, you know, sympathetic uh, old guy mm-hmm. uh, who makes you want to cry. Self, I mean, he really, you know, he's he's a, you feel sorry just, for just, him, just like in Dexter. Well, yeah, okay, so not in Dexter, but in pretty much everything else. At one point, they're all walking into the woods together, and I felt like I was watching Harry and the Hendersons <laughs> holding hands with yeah. the ape. But um, yeah, Lithgow, you know, he does a good job. He's he's. Uh, Again, very these characters are very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. It's not really, you know. Um, I say it was a character drama, but uh, they they just they're all there to support the main ape Caesar mm-hmm. Andy Circus. Really, is the main character. And uh, if there's anything I learned in my screenwriting classes, it was that your supporting characters should all be there to support your main character. Yeah. And coming out of that movie, everybody feels good about uh, mixed because of some of his um, decisions during right. the the uprising. But still good about Caesar the ape. Does he talk? I will not reveal that. He talks. Okay. <laughs> Listen to you, Mr. Spoiler. Let's well, just say I, that when he, does, Spoiler, no, when he does, when he does, it's a, it's and a you're big not moment. answering. So when you don't answer, it it's just a big means moment. Yes. They, they, it's, it's the, the screenplay is constructed very well. Yeah. And they pull it off. I don't know. I mean, I, I know that the the director um, had previously done some BBC mini miniseries, and that was it. So this is his first like major motion picture so kudos to rupert wyatt we'll be seeing more of you sir and speaking of directors we're uh, gonna see more of uh reuben fleischer hot yeah. off of his big hit zombie land right everybody he's, expected him to go big budget after that. right and now he, he comes back two years later with a low budget comedy uh uh 30 minutes or less with jesse eisenberg again yep and uh that's really the only return uh actor from his first movie um and he's a guy who started directing episodes of Jimmy Kimmel Live. I mean, he he oh, had Fleischer. Yeah, he yeah. had no real experience before Zombie Land, so to speak. It was all in TV, and it was all primarily talk shows and stuff like that. So, but it's informed as it's in, it's informed as a shooting style. You can you can tell. I mean, just some of the shots in Zombie Land were very much like. Um, yeah, some some of the the camera placements in talk shows are very well. All, they're all intentional, but they're their goal is to sort of involve the viewing audience, the home audience, so they feel like that they're in the crowd or they're part of the group. And you can see that sort of uh, mentality invade a lot of the shots in Zombieland. A lot of times you felt like you were sort of there with them instead of just observing. Um, and I noticed just a few shots in the trailer that kind of did the same thing in 30 minutes mm-hmm. or less. The, uh, the, the, when they get T-boned by the cop car and they slide towards the... The, the oh, that's that, in the preview. Yeah, that's a really funny moment. I laughed out loud at that. That yeah. was crazy. But go ahead and set it up. Tell me a little more. I mean, I know what it's about, but tell. Pretend I don't. Do you know anything about, about the true story? No. Okay, so there's a little bit of a fur from the family of the dead pizza delivery person <laughs> who was blown up, um, uh, who I believe was in his late 40s or early 50s. So it doesn't really 
fit the mold. It was maybe seven years ago mm-hmm. I read about this. And, um, you know, it, there were there were a, a pair of uh, bank robbers or, or some bank robbers who forced a guy to, to rob a bank by mm-hmm. strapping a bomb to his chest. Uh, the filmmakers, the screenwriters for this movie have said that they may have been influenced by that after hearing about it, but they're not saying this is where we got the idea from. And certainly the script uh, doesn't go for any of that. Right. Uh, this is a broad, raunchy comedy, uh, sometimes uh, to its detriment, I think, too raunchy uh, on purpose when it doesn't really succeed. But that is a trend going back uh, this year to Horrible Bosses, which was still funny, and The Hangover 2, which was not. Um, and even bridesmaid, bridesmaids, to a certain extent, had some pretty raunchy stuff in it that um, didn't may or always, may not didn't have succeeded. Always work, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the kind of movie we're dealing with here with 30 Minutes or Less. We've got Jesse Eisenberg as the pizza delivery driver. Um, he, he's basically you know down on his luck, stuck in a rut, delivering pizzas 30 yeah. minutes or less. Uh, is the delivery time. It means he can drive really fast. Uh, and... Um, his best friend is played by Aziz Ansari oh, yeah. from Parks and Recreation. Tom Haverford. Tom Haverford. And um, Aziz is very funny, but he uh, is also the biggest uh, thing that gets away with um, or gets, gets in the way of you believing uh, too much in this story. Yeah. Because his style of humor is to uh, talk about the action as if he's not really involved in it. Um, he comments on it all the time. He's he's very funny in the movie. Uh, the only problem with it is that um, when your best friend's bomb has a uh, best friend's chest has a bomb strapped to it, you're not going to be that outside of the action. And and he's always commenting on it and making fun of it to the point where um, you 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 kind of stop believing that this might actually be happening to this guy as much as Eisenberg is is trying to. Uh, make you believe it. On the other side are Danny McBride and Nick Swart- Swardston. Swardston. Yeah, who yeah. Um, are uh, the bumbling idiots who came up with the idea to do this uh, so that they could get a hundred grand um, and eventually hire somebody to kill uh, Danny McBride's father, played by Fred Ward, <laughs> <laughs> who is who is uh, who is definitely in. Uh, broad comedy mode uh, here, and and that doesn't always work either. But here's here's a here's a big deal. Wait, Fred Ward or, Fred or Ward. Danny McBride? Uh, okay. Danny McBride can be very. He's almost always annoying in every movie he's in. But depending on whether he's funny annoying, like he is on Eastbound and Down mm-hmm. uh, on HBO, or whether he is gratingly annoying, like he is in Your Highness. Um, this, uh, you know, it's, it's, and, and also in land of the lost, it's, it's a fine line to walk with him. And in this movie, I think they use him really well. Um, because, uh, Nick Swartz, Swartzden, I always have a hard sure time with that last name. Yeah. Uh, plays, Pretty sure uh, it's Swartzen. Swartzen but... plays, pl- plays this guy who's really, um, looks up to Danny McBride. He's like his, his partner in crime, but, uh, everything that he says, Goes and uh, that kind of loyalty is really endearing um, to uh, to that character, and so um, and, and Danny McBride is able to show enough uh, sympathy to um, you know to make that work. And and I, I really I can't describe it other than uh, Danny McBride has some really really funny moments in this yeah. film, and also it's paced really quickly and it has a surprising amount of. Uh, of character stuff underneath it, you know, some of the motivations behind what's happening and yeah. stuff just seem like they're more well thought out than something like Horrible Bosses. Now, is it funnier than Horrible Bosses? Eh, I don't know. I mean, it's it's pretty much on that level. You know what I mean? I, I would say it works just a little bit better 
as a believable comedy, even though Aziz Ansari is constantly trying to tear that down with his right. broad blend of comedy. Um, and Eisenberg is, is very good, uh, playing a different kind of a role yeah. uh, than we're used to him seeing. At least at the end, when he finally gets his courage up. Right. Uh, and Michael Pena, I have to say this, Michael Pena, who is in every movie ever made, it seems like, in a small role, including uh, Best Picture winner and um, Most Hated Movie of All Time by me, Crash, uh, he uh, is very, very funny in a small role as an assassin in this movie. And some interesting choices on his part uh, make make his character stick out a lot in a movie already full of funny people. So yeah. it's uneven. Uh, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, but I think it's got a lot more going for it than it does at first glance. And I think I'd like to see it again, which is really? not something I can say about a lot of comedies. So for me, 30 minutes or less is um, a, a pretty solid uh, comedy. It's not along the lines. It's not as good as Bridemaid, Bridesmaids or something like that. But Yeah. yeah I want to check it out. I mean, it looks fun. Um and I'm in a real, you know, Kenny Powers drought, so I don't think uh, I would. <laughs> I, I think season two just came out. Uh, yeah, well, I can. I've already watched it. Oh, okay. Well, I've, I've seen it, so I'm just HBO. kind of. Yeah, for those of us, you make it sound like I have a monocle in because I have HBO. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got a top hat and monocle, and I'm talking about HBO. Yeah. Um, that sounds interesting. I, I want to check it out because. Uh, I could use a good comedy, and it's been an interesting summer for comedies. They've been doing really well. The R-rated comedy's done really well this summer, but it's just kind of funny because there haven't. I mean, Bridesmaids was hilarious, but the the critical response to a lot of them hasn't been very, you know, overly positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it will for this one either. I I, I think that's going to be a mixed bag as far as um, yeah. critic critics' responses go. But um, for me, it just comes down to whether it made me laugh a lot or not, and and it did so. There you go. All right, well, we're going to go. Uh, this is Trevor McGee from Lawrence.com with Eric Moline from SteenSteelers.com. And uh, you guys have a good weekend. We'll see you later. Bye. <laughs>